Welcome to Tea with Culture. I'm Hin Mizena, and with me is Wal Hattar. And uh, our guest today is Faisal Al Jadir, a film journalist from Empire Arabia. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the films we watched at the Dubai International Film Festival. Films we feel strongly about, films that left an impression, films we want to kind of discuss amongst us. Hello, Faisal. Hi. Thanks for having me. So before we get into the movies and wrap up our uh, diff uh, roundup for this year, can you just give us a little bit about yourself so our listeners uh, understand why you're here with us? <laughs> so I've been uh, I've been writing for Empire Arabia magazine for since 2016. Uh, previously, I'd studied film theory and history at Carleton University in Canada, and I've been doing theater in Abu Dhabi and worked at the Abu Dhabi Film Festival for a while and. Um, uh, recently started uh, working as a scriptwriter for a company in Dubai. Uh, so, I mean, I'm a long-time cinephile, basically. I love everything film and television. And uh, I had a great time at Diff this year. Yeah, and, and um, Faisal was one of the, the many uh, many film writers and cinephiles that we were kind of running through uh, at Diff. And we've had a chance to see a few movies together as well as other films. And as it had mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about the films this time rather than the film festival itself, which you can still hear in part one of the of the Diff Roundup. So we're going to start with the Arab films. Um there were quite a few strong Arab films, full features, and I think in Wilde's opinion, he had mentioned in the previous episode, even stronger short films. But I'd, I'd like to start with Wajib, probably one of the most successful Arab films this year. It's been getting critical acclaim uh, at lots of festivals around the world. It won the Mohar Feature Award at DIFF, and uh, I saw it before the film festival, and I quite liked it. I started off uh, not sure how I feel about it. It's a film directed by Anne-Marie Jasser. But I know it was the end scene that really made it for me, that made it stand out. And I thought, okay, wait, this is this is a better film than I was expecting. I uh, I absolutely loved the movie. I had never seen any of Anne Marie's uh, films prior, but I'd heard so much about her since I uh, went to the 2012 Abu Dhabi Film Festival, uh, and I've heard she was a big name in the Arab film, uh, you know, cinema world, and. I, I I was just swept away by the drama. I thought it was really well written and well acted. Hamid al-Bakri, I think is the elder gentleman. Uh, he looks like an Arab Paul Newman. <laughs> and I absolutely love the chemistry between the father and the son. And I also very much appreciated how the drama, the sort of, let's say, political ideas that they had never interfered with the actual uh, drama. And for those of you who don't know about Wajib, it's basically the story of one day in Nazareth where a son comes back. Uh, from the outside to help his father give away um, invitations for his sister's wedding. So it's very traditional in the sense of keeping on what, what, the, what, the, what the country and its people have, but also developmental in the actual interaction between father and son, who, I don't know if this adds anything or not, are in real life father and son. Yeah, the Bakri family, Muhammad Bakri and Saleh Bakri. And yeah, I mean, they're great together on screen. They normally are great on their own on screen in essence it's really about a father-son relationship and it's set in Nazareth and of course there's a political element to it but it was not shoved in your face it wasn't kind of like the usual films made by Palestinian filmmakers which you know go, like focuses on that so to me it was really about family and relationship and with that there's a reveal about what's going on society-wise culture-wise and what I loved about Wajib is how colorful it can be you know the, it had a sense of humor it almost felt like it was a comedy that just happened to have dramatic elements 
and I I love that they could they could laugh about themselves. They could laugh with each other and stuff like that. Is regardless of how you know serious the subject matter was and serious the situation was. You know, because they're in a place where they have to be careful. They can't. You know, they for example, you know, they were talking about how if you hit a, an animal that belongs to an, an Israeli, you could get uh, in deep trouble. And I I just like that there is that edge there. You know, and they managed to live their lives and managed to, you know, still see their friends all and all and, you know, have this wedding going on. And speaking of comedy and colorful, Cactus Flower, I think, was the most colorful film I saw at uh, DIFF uh, in the Arab feature section, directed by visual artist Helal Kusi. And, uh, yeah, I know, I thought it was visually really colorful, really well composed, and it's, again, a relationship between... Uh, people in this case a neighbor uh, a young girl and her older neighbor and this young boy from the area and there is a bit of an experimental element to it but there's also an interesting narrative and what did you think about it well yes actually we had when i had watched it it gave me a lot it, it did have a lot of um visual art references a lot of kind of dance bits into it kind of which helped me reflect on Vin Vendors' Pina, where some of it did have that flow. And, and, I, don't, and I think that, that gets her background of her visual artness. I don't know much of her work outside of this film, but I can, I can imagine that how that is connected. And, and, and I think it does flow without going too surreal, but keeping that edge in. Yeah, I mean, there are these scenes where there's these performances, but it's also kind of self-reflective about the, uh, the main character in the film. Um, but... Again, I think linking it to Wajib, again, it does address issues in Egypt mm. and, and Cairo. And again, without kind of being super obvious about it. So it's not shoving these messages about the revolution or how things aren't really great at the moment. So it does it, I thought, in a really subtle way. And that's why I appreciated it a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping more people will be able to see this film because, again, it's not kind of the typical commercial type of Egyptian film that we're normally exposed to. So I really hope for a lot of people's sake, you know, to be able to exp be exposed to a different way of telling these stories done beautifully, very, a very skillful film. And, and from her art as an artist, I've seen mostly her photography and she's done... Um, like I've seen the kind of these big scale photos where again they're almost like mural type because there are lots of composed images and each bit of that big piece says stories and yeah so this was a really delicate a feminine film I and you know and and like I said really skillfully made for her first feature that I hope more people will have access to yeah and on and on first features another Egyptian film that I was actually looking really forward to uh was called Kiss Me Not Belash Tibusni which is by uh, the the writer of, of the film itself was Ahmad Amir, and we had seen last year his uh, the one that he co-wrote, which was Ali the Goat and Ibrahim. But unfortunately, uh, the film, although brilliantly written and funny, and and, and like Hint said with the other two films, uh, takes a, f a very important kind of jabs at uh, at things that are in the society. But him as a writer couldn't really take it beyond the writing and give it life as a director, where it felt a little bit flat. And I think that with any other director who's had some experience in, in filmmaking or even advertising or anything behind a camera of a moving image would have really developed it further. So this one, though not a great film, but a, a great potential of a film. So when you watch it, I guess, still try to watch it to see the, the writing behind it, but uh, don't hope for, for too much out of it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a film I wanted to see, but it just didn't work out schedule-wise. And it kept being described as mockumentary, and you said it wasn't at all. So I thought, why was that part of the description? Because even when I read the rest of it, I'm like, this doesn't sound like a mockumentary. And maybe there's an element, there's one scene, maybe that's about a mockumentary, but it's not the entire film. And I remember we even when we saw that one of the distributors you know we said why are you describing it as a mockumentary in the synopsis but um, I mean it's a shame because when you hear about these films they sound really great on paper and you want to go watch them and there's this slight disappointment because it's lacking in terms of I think whether it's production value or like skillfulness in telling stories or editing or directing and this being his first film because as you said he's written before so yeah would it have been a better film if another director was involved funnily enough it's the only male director in the list of Arab films we have two more that we're going to go through which is Until the End of Time and uh, Beauty and the Dogs so I'll start with Beauty and the Dogs because again this is uh, by filmmaker we've both watched your films before yeah Kauther bin Hani as we've been following her throughout this and I think we've seen almost all of her films if no. not one. Well, we've seen her the mockumentary, in this case, an actual mockumentary called uh, Charlotte of Tunis, which, again, a very feminist film addressing misogyny in Arab society and brilliantly made. And then she made another film after it. Uh, it's a documentary called Zainab Hates the Snow. And uh, this is a feature, Beauty and the Dogs, which premiered at Cannes Film Festival. And it's broken down in nine chapters and it's another feminist film because it, it addresses rape and how rape issues are tackled. Set over one night, split into nine chapters uh, where the main character is unfortunately raped and just the rest of the night where, you know, she's trying to like get help from hospital, from police and just like seeing what I think we hear a lot in this part of the world where you know it's the woman's fault and it's because of what you were wearing and who you were with etc so but something about it like it's an interesting film to see how she's directed it it has an interesting style and tone but I don't know if it needed to be the whole nine chapters because some bits felt overstretched and it wasn't kind of pushing the story more than it could have it is her first feature though all the rest that we've mentioned were documentaries and her mockumentaries is the first one that is written by her specifically and then kind of worked in that angle that's true because she has done another i think was a documentary before charlotte of tunis which i've not seen and i forgot the title um but yeah so it's interesting seeing her delving into feature film and yeah like the way this was done not as strong as charlotte of tunis like that to me is probably her her strongest film but it's also good to see filmmakers putting themselves out there and, and experimenting and making new films but still I think being true to themselves in terms of what storytelling they want to pursue and the other film which I thought was really special it's an Algerian film called Until the End of Time uh, by first feature film uh, director Yasmin Shuech so she's done a couple of shorts before I'm not familiar with her films but this was a beautiful film uh, set in a small village in Algeria around a graveyard and it really ends up becoming like a a story about hopes and missed opportunities and it focuses on um, two characters male and female they're really old they're kind of you know one person who's just stuck who's you know who takes care of the graveyard another woman who's escaping kind of like a bad marriage and she's trying to start a new life and maybe they're meeting each other but they're in different phases of their life and if they had met earlier when they were younger could things have been different and again about society and around them and how you know no one minds their own business and you know who's talking to who and who's in whose house but beautifully filmed uh really delicate quite touching 
And again, we don't often get to see Algerian films. I hope this film does travel around the world. Uh, a really, in my opinion, a successful first feature by uh, Yasmin and, you know, good luck to her. So I was really happy I had an opportunity to see this on the big screen. Maybe, I don't know if it's a disappointment or not, but I saw Sharp Tools. Nujum al Ghanim has shown a couple of films before and some of them were okay. Um, but for this one, uh, which is about a documentary about uh, the artist Hassan Sharif, who passed away in 2016, uh, it just felt a little bit uh, thin and kind of uh, more more of a, a, a diary about a friend than an actual documentary that's kind of done well. And that was a little bit disappointing because I thought after all of these attempts at documentary making, she would kind of get better uh, at it. But what, what was really at least negative for me was the placing of herself within the object. So you had... Um, the director's own poetry in there and not even in a sense where, where it had an editing space it was just kind of randomly placed and even to the point where the, the last scene you have um, was a clip of, of the artist thanking the director and I thought it was a bit intrusive and kind of a bit much not even, not even talking about um, shots that I'm not sure um, were fair especially that he was at the end of his life and was kind of dying and then you see him kind of weak and tired but not in a way that would develop the film more than in a like a like, like a little bit of sad thing that's there so I really disliked it so yeah I mean with Nujum I think A she doesn't like her films to be referred to as documentary like she even said that at the Q&A I agree then uh, attended and in the festival guide it's under the creative documentary section and like I'm curious to know what describe what what makes a creative documentary uh i'd rather like if you know is it experimental it's i i don't know it's it's a weird description but i think with this particular film about hassan sharif so a revered artist uh, from the uae who passed away last year and ever since his passing away there have been kind of these lots of exhibitions focusing on him and this film i think a lot of us were very intrigued to go and see what this is going to be about and yeah i mean i left where I, I felt it was lacking and yes it it felt like was this film was it a rush job let's get as much as we can on film before he passes away because it was clearly towards the end of his life so it wasn't and you know when someone is old and almost dying you know you don't what what do you hear what 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 insights can you get from an artist and maybe this wasn't meant to be your typical bio but there was like you said I think maybe where she positions herself because the poetry is in it and is it more about a diary because she of her close relationship with the director versus it being something insightful to people who don't know the filmmaker. Because I think a lot of people at our screening, at least who know him, got some bits, but the, we also had friends with us who don't know anything about his art, you know, weren't necessarily clear about what's going on or what's supposed to be said. Yeah, you're definitely right. From, from that end, uh, if that's going to be what's going to be taken out for the rest of the world about this artist, maybe for us we're taking it a bit, at least for me, taking it a bit more serious because I'm a fan of his, of his artwork, but there is no information. So one comes in, we don't really understand what's he doing, why he's doing it uh the the whole film is more about the what this art looks like and a little bit of timing rather than the why he's doing it and there are a few points when there was opportunity to go into more but it just stayed at that very weak thin picture of an artist rather than an in-depth discussion uh, and telling of, of his story but then again on this kind of creative uh, documentaries um I want to mention another film that I didn't necessarily find find really really well done or kind of kind of worked the way it should be, which is Panoptic. Which gets me to the point is I don't know the selections because in the past most of the films that I keep trying to, which are the experimental documentaries and most of them are Arabs, um, I find lacking. So I don't know how Diff goes about uh, going to these documentaries, but usually, except for a few here and there that are accidental, they're either very 
expected. So, oh, look, sad Palestinian person. Oh, look, poor is, is, is Syrian kid kind of thing. Or these, I want to be artistic, but this fall, fall flat. Versus their, I guess, greedier selection of actual Arab features uh, than those. I don't know if it's them or, or how just unfortunate. Yeah, I've always felt the documentary section at DIFF is one of the weakest. They don't necessarily bring us kind of like boundary pushing documentaries. I, I think a lot of people's perception of documentaries here are very straightforward. It's a it's about someone or it's about a project, you know, kind of the standard documentaries uh, or it's always about someone's family member like that's usually uh, the kind of documentaries they get here and it's a shame because the world of documentaries are amazing films you know that whether it's experimental or really kind of something that really jars you you know it leaves you makes you think it makes you you know kind of curious or expose you to something you're you've, you're not aware of i mean like one documentary but again it's it's a fairly kind of typical type documentary about a father that i i liked it's called the man behind the microphone and this was uh, by claire bilhassin and it's about finding out her grandfather who's tunisian who she discovered was uh, apparently the frank sinatra of the arab world uh, his name is hedy biljouaini and this is something she didn't know about him as she was growing up. It's only something she discovered as an adult by accident. So she starts investigating and finding out about him. So it's also, it's very personal and it's also quite painful because of just, I think, the revelations. And it's not, it ends up not just becoming about the grandfather. It really becomes about missed opportunities for the women in the family and how... Again, the typical story of Arab families, you know, the father who doesn't let his daughters pursue music or anything creative and, you know, how he was the only famous person. But so even his wife missed out, even though she had a beautiful voice. So it becomes a story about resentment as well. And so to me, it was not like, yes, it's another Arab documentary about family members, but this one really delved into a lot more, which wasn't obvious when you first read the description. So I quite appreciate it. And I, I really liked it. The shorts this year were really magnificent. And I've been following the shorts over the past few years, always trying to see what's out there, who's coming up and what's what's happening. And then and, and this year, as I guess, as as a weight, I think the production value, the, the thinking, the, the development uh, is, is a lot better uh, with these younger filmmakers than you have with these feature films. Now, I only got to see two shorts this uh, this year, but I uh, really appreciated the remaining time. Uh, brilliant sci-fi feature with a p great lead, uh, performance from an uh, actor called Rashid. I, I also thought it was quite interesting the way they dealt with the exposition of um, you know this sort of alien invasion uh, with this interesting use of animation in the beginning. And then it was mostly kept to this one room uh, with two actors, a woman and a man, and it, it's just about the drama. It's about the atmosphere, and uh, you know, and there are ideas. There's there's a question of almost ethics coming into play, and it, it keeps you engaged throughout. I think it's about 15 minutes or something, and uh, it's and it's a really interesting uh, short film that could be tied into a feature film. Uh, and I think it's 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 wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah, I think the director Hamad Al Hamadi uh, did a good job understanding writing because he also wrote it and and budget. So not not trying to make something way out there with the budget that he had. He made a logical film that fit in. And this is this is kind of the point of the the younger ones developing and understanding uh, the uh, the craft as well as the reality of it. Um, while. So well, well, this is from I, I've had watched a, few, a lot of shorts, but not all of them were like maybe half half. But from the from the Khaliji ones, uh, the Gulf Mohr and the Emirati Mohr, this was the better uh, 
one from, from, from the Gulf versus the Levant ones, which were a lot more advanced. Which country is the remaining time from? It's an Emirati. Okay, He's an Emirati the director. The other one that I, that I saw that had a good potential was called Rafa. Uh, but it, it kind of started w- somewhere, but then it, it became too self-involved, I guess, in, the, in whatever idea the director would want to have, and it didn't go anywhere. But going back to the, to the Levantians, um, the, the last days of The Man of Tomorrow, we had, uh, we, had all, we had all seen and mentioned before. But Faisal, did you want to add something to it before we go to the rest? Yeah, I just have to give a shout-out to Chris Alerio for <laughs> recommending it like crazy uh, in the last time, because I actually got to see it on the last day of Diff at the uh, you know, Cinetech. And I was blown away. I mean, I thought it was, it was incredibly funny. It was kind of satirical. And it was just amazing to see a robot become this portrait of selfishness and self-involvement. And see how, you know, fragile egos can be. And, uh, you know, also just to get this nice little slice-of-life commentary about Lebanon and about the way Lebanon's changed. And, you know, the, you know almost like dating it, uh, you know, in the... Framing it within the sort of civil war era and, and things like that, and just seeing Lebanon at its height, the height of its uh, sort of um, power in a way and popularity in the Arab world, I think it's quite interesting. I think it's very funny and beautiful, and I love the guy who voices the robot. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, this didn't win best uh, short, although for us it was one of the stronger ones, but an equally strong one, one which was a drowning man by Mehdi Flayfil, and I think this is his first. Uh, fiction fiction piece usually he's a, he's a director of documentary ones but it was it was it was quite quite strong in 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 the sense of control so like like the arab features i had mentioned before it 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 does hint to all the problems and situations that are there but talking about a story on the side and the humanity of the subject rather than the the point of politics and and that in itself just gave it so much more strength being so proud of of uh, of what's going on. Um, and similar with the other Palestinian director, uh, Rakan Mayasi, who did Bonbone. And this one also had Salah Bakri, who was in, in, in Wajib. And it is, again, it's, it's a few characters interacting with each other, a simple, simple storyline that is shot well, produced well. And again, all of them, this is, this is less of an autorial uh, way, but more of a group effort between writers and cinematographers and actors and so on and so forth, and, and really creates um, a, a good level of, of production. So there seems to be like a very rich uh, scene of short films in the Arab world that we don't necessarily have access to, except for film festivals, which is such a shame, and I don't know how this helps to support these filmmakers, and I mean, I, I think short films in general just are hard to see but I don't know how much of these films even take part in you know prestigious short film festivals around the world I don't know I haven't researched it enough but it's just made me think this year maybe more than in the past where yeah there's a really I think rich mix of short films that unfortunately don't get enough exposure and I mean and we keep thinking about like the short films out of the Gulf region where again there's a huge number of them being produced every year but again, I think quality-wise, they're still not necessarily matching uh, the short films coming out of uh, the Levant region or Northern Africa. Yeah, I think this is something I had mentioned a few years ago about the the mommy thinks I'm pretty kind of uh, a syndrome. Which is a problem I had with with a lot of the Gulf shorts and the Gulf features before, where where you reckon they they don't get any criticism or they really just want to push their idea. And I think one of one of the weakest ones I saw was Scape, which had a lot of push because it was in English and it had a comedian uh, uh, Ahmed Ahmed kind of in it but when you see it itself it, it, it's quite flat and it's 
it's, it's fortunate that when that happens. So Faisal, I know you've worked on a short film and I think you know other filmmakers who make short films and I know I'm curious to get your thoughts on what is it about the quality or the caliber of short films being made here? I think... Uh I think what from what I've seen, uh, a lot of the Emirati short films have very promising filmmakers behind them. Uh, I mean, I mentioned uh, to you uh, that I, I really liked Qushq by Abdullah Khaabi uh, back from a few years ago, and I thought it was a very you know quiet you know piece of slow cinema, great production value, great performers, uh, beautiful cinematography. Uh, and again, very moving and very emotional, and there's something at the uh, at the heart of it. And I think seeing that, and then seeing his feature film, only meant to go to the grave. I, I look at the short film, I think, well, you know, there's so much potential, and the, and the feature film also, there's so much potential. But I th- I feel like uh, all the the ideas and the emotions aren't quite reconciled as well as they could be, you know. Uh, but there's an ambition, and there's the I think I think what this country needs is to look at all the people who are making these short films you know and and try and get them involved uh in uh, for feature films because i i don't necessarily see i haven't seen too many promising feature films uh come out of the uae uh in the last few years and i think it's going to change i think it's going to change but i think that uh, you have people who appreciate cinema working behind these short films you have people who actually you know get to the nitty-gritty of you know uh, how to make a low-budget short film how to make it you know uh smart and you know interesting and, and innovative and i think that's where they are i think that's where you need to see. and it, again the same with the gulf in general i shahed amin made a great short film called uh, eye and the mermaid and she's making a movie called scales now which i think is based on that and i, I thought there was a great little piece of uh, you know almost fairy tale uh cinema uh, for the Gulf and everything, and it's an Arab film, and it's I'm proud to call that an Arab film because it's just beautiful to look at, you know, and it's beautiful to to have that as part of your, um, you know, part of your cinema here and everything. And I think I think that's where it is. I think I think um, I think I think I think people should invest in short films here more than anything. You know, that's a great way to test the waters. And and thing is, a lot of times people do play or start experimenting with short films to know where they develop because honestly not everyone should be director a lot of times you have you can do good things and and still be good at something else so like and this would bring us uh, i think it's a good good segue to take us to the last short film we want to mention which is into reverse which is an egyptian um, short film and first time director noha adil and here i re- i like the film a lot i give it an eight out of ten but i did recognize because i'm in the industry that the writing has potential the writing is great but the directing was very Adi, mm. and a lot of times it's it's it would work fine for a short film, but I don't think she would ever, at least at this point, be able to carry a feature. But she might be able to write a feature and have that kind of worked on. So just to translate, Adi, basic what you said earlier. But uh, I mean, I agree. There's not the standout for this film. I think was the writing. So just the the way the characters were speaking to each other was quite funny, but it was also quite serious and. Squ- quite scathing clever way of handling misogyny that's right totally because what on you know the synopsis was you know there's this traffic jam on this one-way road in Cairo just probably like many traffic jams across the city but it really starts addressing yeah like as you said misogyny um, you know trying to like shout at women to tell them to move away make way for them you know it's also about entitlement and so written in a really clever way and I'm not I don't know too much about the director and maybe this is kind of her first foray into you know, film writing, and hopefully she writes more. 
and maybe she's also experimenting with filmmaking. I mean, I, I like I said, I didn't really look into her, so I don't know how young she is. And but no, it was it was fun. It was I I watched it because Wael recommended it to me. It was one of those days where I needed to watch something to laugh. So I'm glad I got to see it. Just to add to what I said earlier, um, uh, you know, I, I participate in the Arab Film Studio program with Imagination Abu Dhabi, and I've I've met a few very very promising filmmakers there, and they aren't necessarily making films about this region uh but but they're all very sort of smart and heartfelt and uh inventive and i think they're you know you, you need to look out for filmmakers like nabil shaudhuri and sachin agostin sachin agostin sorry uh you know who are, could easily be you know up there in the, in the ranks of the, the best filmmakers in this country you know because they, they you know they understand you know how the camera moves where it needs to move where it needs to be placed and they, they understand character and the importance of arc and things like that and I, I think working with these guys has been very inspiring and I mean uh, the quality of Arab Film Studio has been questionable before in terms of but like this year just seeing these guys you know uh, ri rise above everyone else you know it just is really inspiring and I just w hope to see more films by them and by you know others similar to them like with uh, in terms of ambition so these filmmakers and their films weren't at diff but can you maybe just explain to us what the Arab Film Studio is yeah, Arab Film Studio is a training program or a competition through Imagination Abu Dhabi where they 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 usually have like six to eight uh, filmmakers in training and they take them through the entire production process from screenwriting to post production and you know obviously you make a film in the end and then they send the, if they think they're worthy enough they will send the films to festivals all around the world and uh, yeah I mean it was it was a great opportunity for me and I really really appreciate the chance to make a film. And now moving away from Arabic, but still staying away from the English films, we'll finish up with those, are the Cinema of the World uh, titles. Hello, we've spoken about The Square uh, continuously in a lot because it was a brilliant film and everything it won at Cannes was, was great. And Hind and I spoke about it, but we never got your opinion. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was quite fascinating. Uh, I, I'd never seen any of the director's works before, but I thought it was really smart, really funny as well. And, you know, I love dark comedy, so I'm, I'm a sucker for that sort of thing. Uh, and it felt interesting to see, like, this critique of society through the art world. You know, and there's a brilliant set piece. I mean, I don't even know, you don't even need it to be a part of the the film. It could just be exist on its own with Terry Notary, scene-stealing performance from Terry Notary. Uh, and it was beautifully polarizing. Uh, I think uh, the only issue I had with the film was it it seemed to preach its, uh, you know, uh, ideas. Uh, in, uh, there's a press conference scene and there's a scene where uh, the main actor, Klaus, who, who plays Christian, uh, sort of talks into a you know into a recorder I think or a video camera or something like that and I felt like okay I mean maybe maybe a little you know I'll be okay with it in this, on a second viewing but I thought at the time it was a bit too on the nose. Actually, I'm going to specifically argue against that, and the whole point of 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 the of the film mentioned before is. Is, is really showing us not necessarily the artwork guy, but but the idea of Europe, the idea of, of how they are. Mm -hmm. And if you would take it from that end, they it this would happen. This would have an, this big apology to fix things, and then just kind of make matters worse. It's them thinking or oh, having a little video apology is going to fix it all. Mm -hmm. So I think it was an actual driver in the film. It, it just kept on being awkward and making you feel awkward. Mm -hmm. 
if you didn't if you didn't come out of this film feeling awkward, then it didn't do what it was supposed to do. I was uh, I was actually awkward. I, I was feeling awkward. How... Yeah, I'll just have to see it again. I'll just have to see it again. But uh, no, I think it's a I think it's a fantastic film. I think it is a fantastic film. It's definitely one of my favorites of the year, uh, and I can't wait to see it again. Um, speaking of films that made us feel uncomfortable, A Gentle Creature, I think, is one of those uh, films where lots were saying it's a must-see, go see it. And I went to see it, but it was a lot darker than I expected it to be. I mean, I wasn't expecting anything like from Sergei Lozenza, the director. But um, again, I wasn't sure how to feel about it. And I think I remember there was just this feeling of like all of us were feeling really down after watching it and not even like talking to each other because just the way the film ended was quite harsh and I mean I'm not going to obviously spoil it but yeah what are your thoughts Faisal? Um, I've been wrestling with my <laughs> with how I feel about the movie since I saw it with you uh, and I mean I, I feel like it's a love or hate film but I think it's I think it's okay. I, I have to go somewhere in between. Uh, I think uh, the lead actress, Vaselina uh, Makovska, is fantastic. Uh, she's very subtle, uh, which helps uh, because the movie is quite crazy. Uh, even though it's not, you know, you know, in your face kind of crazy, and for the most part, it's quite. It's just uh, his, you know, almost hysterical, and it, it takes a few weird turns. So a bit about the movie. It's a Russian film. Uh, the main character is called A Gentle Creature. We never really get to know her real name. It starts off about how a package she sent to her husband who's in jail is returned to her. And now she's trying to deliver it to him in person. And she's trying to track down her husband because the prison she thought he was in is no longer there. And now she's traveling across the country. And in these travels, she's meeting these people and these scenarios. And suddenly it just becomes almost like a circle. Like she's kind of in the circle of hell. The same thing's happening. She's meeting not very nice people. And she still goes through. And it's like, wait, you know, get out of it. You know, she's almost facing danger, but she still carries on. And you almost want to shout at the screen and tell her stop. Um, and it ends up be starting to feel like a dark fable. So it's no longer kind of this real social drama. But... What it really is, obviously, is kind of this addressing Russian society, bureaucracy, and, you know, how people are treated. And uh, But it just it, it, it just goes into places where it does feel very difficult to watch. And I, and just, I don't know how to feel about it. Like, does that, do these things make me like the film or dislike the film? The next thing we want to talk about, which I had mentioned before uh, in the last episode, which was The Seen and Unseen by Indonesian uh, director Camilla Andini. And in this one, the whole film, the, the whole film has no need. It is a beautifully choreographed uh, story about feeling and emotion of a very, and yet again, another very simple storyline by a woman director uh, approaching just a death of a sibling and, and how that connection is. But again, done with that magical life that, that, that people have, that people want to imagine, and that sometimes film gets you, which, which you can't get anywhere else, with beautiful flow and a, and a, and a wonderfully slow tempo set for you can just absorb uh, the feeling that's happening on, on screen. Yeah, I mean, I found it quite a... I found it magical. Mm -hmm. I found it moving. It was great, definitely one of my favorite discoveries of, at the festival. There's this dreamscape to it the Balinese mythology that's addressed and the children in it and there's just a film that you kind of lose yourself it's like it's just so beautifully filmed so skillfully made in my opinion and uh and again something as simple as yeah sibling relations parents and children and dreams and trying to communicate and this is about you know communicating with a soul or 
you know, a brother who's no longer there. And, and, and I like how she said these kind of child ghosts, which appear in this film, that are meant to be kind of like your kind of companions, like for children. I thought that was something so beautiful and magical about it. And none of it felt sinister or dark. And there was just something beautifully made about this film. And, and she addresses how she's making films that is about her culture. And she picks these very small, simple storylines and, you know, ends up making this beautiful film which I really hope a lot of people get to see and I hope it travels around the world and with that we are going to take our final segment which are the uh, cinema of the world but the English speaking ones and here I think a, a lot of films this year were from that but we try to kind of cut them down had some of the ones I had mentioned before in the some of them that we had mentioned last episode are Death of Stalin uh, and, and You Were Never Really Here and Disaster Artist uh, we'll talk about two more uh, which are Three Billboards and I, Tonya, but first we want to hear from, from Faisal about these movies before we move on. Uh, well, I, I was looking forward to Death of Stalin for so long. Uh, I'm a huge Armando Iannucci fan. I, you know, I highly recommend people check out I'm Alan Partridge, The Thick of It TV series, uh, In the Loop, which is a fantastic political satire. Uh, and, you know, that's my jam, political satire. I really love that. And I think it's interesting to see, you know, this movie, which is based on a comic book, which I haven't read yet, uh, sort of take these people who are genuinely hateful but to create some sympathy around some of them you know uh you know almost look at different degrees of evil and see that not everybody is is evil relatively speaking you know and i i think it's just funny to see sort of incompetence with you know a power struggle and uh you know just hierarchies and things like that you know and this this really cold wo world and and also be really funny about it, you know. And I, I love dark comedy. And I love the, the best dark comedies are the ones that make you think and make you appreciate, uh, you know, st uh, the sort of humanity within the darkness. I mean, I mean my favorite thing about the film is every there was no like fake Russian accent like everyone was with you know the different variations of accent from the UK and I thought that was American. great and American that's right I forgot uh, and I thought that was great because usually these kind of films they'll be the put on Russian accent and I love that none of that was part of this film I think that also it allows everybody to sort of have this personality. Whereas if you had a Russian accent, a unified Russian accent, uh, it might have made it a bit more bland and uninteresting. But I loved hearing Simon Russell Beale with this, this sort of tough, you know, gritty British accent, and then Jason Isaacs with his campy Yorkshire accent, you know, and then uh, and then seeing what's it called Jeffrey Tambor with his regular Jeffrey Tambor accent and stuff. And it's 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 great. It's great to see that dynamic. And it's really it's genuinely really funny and well written. You know, and I expect nothing less from Armando Iannucci and his team. But now we're talking about sadness and, and depression. Before we get into the funny bit, what did, what were your thoughts on You Were Never Really Here? Ah, I uh, well, Lynn Ramsey is a very interesting filmmaker, and I think she manages to give these brutal slice of life stories uh, in a very poetic uh, sort of sensibility uh, and I I thought this was very noirish like mm -hmm. it felt like a neo-noir uh, and very interestingly tackles PTSD and you know tr uh, just victims of trauma uh, and I think it's also interesting you don't need to have clean goody two-shoes kind of heroes you could have people who are messed up and dark and whatever I mean we've we, you know we, we all watch you know, well, we don't all watch, but uh, you know, I watched Batman movies and everything, and he's not all there, you know. And uh, I, I, but I find that I, I, 
identify with characters like that who are who are who are damaged somehow who have you know inner demons and everything and this guy is the definition of inner demon joe uh played by joaquin phoenix played brilliantly by joaquin phoenix is very damaged and i think it's this murky labyrinth of you know sex trafficking and corruption and you know politics as well and uh, it's it's really dark and the sound design i have to bring that up is is quite powerful quite astonishing you know how how much that's been emphasized throughout the film uh, and the editing as well like it's it's got this wonderful structure you know and like different shots come into play when you least expect them but they're there to remind you of something or to foreshadow something else and to show you what's not really there or what you're not immediately connecting with I think it's a remarkable piece of cinema. I mean, if, if, if I want to reiterate what I said before about the innocence of it, and because you kept mentioning of how dark and, and, and the PTSD, but, but I really did find it is, and, and actually I think that's maybe where, where the title comes from, if you're not really there, because a lot of times with these trauma victims, they, they go to a safe space in their head, they go somewhere else, and you see him with these flashbacks and these memories and other things, and, and in a sense, He's always innocent, or his 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 childhoodness is, is still there. Mm-hmm. Versus when you compare it to her, she is very there mm-hmm. in the whole film, the whole thing, and and she has to save him in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to go into why, but but mm-hmm. kind of that personal revolution, or the the personal evolution mm-hmm. and character development is is quite interesting. And I think Lynn Ramsey always deals with with this, mm-hmm. but it's a fun switch. And yet, I think the acting was brilliant for for all of them. And, uh, and the musician had done beautiful work. Johnny Greenwood's yeah. score was, was brilliant. And this one I haven't seen because I'm going to watch it in, in the cinema in a couple of weeks. But you and Hind were enthralled by a disaster artist. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys, and, and I know Hind's not even necessarily a fan uh, of, of James Franco, but, but went beyond that and, and, and really appreciated him. Yeah, I mean, I spoke about this in our previous episode. Uh, I was really looking forward to this. A lot of kind of people I admire spoke highly about this film. So yeah, I was up there and I'm so glad I wasn't disappointed because I was really worried I would be. I was a bit trepidatious about seeing this movie because um, whenever uh, whenever I've seen James Franco in a comedy, I think that he, c- he could be funny, but he goes on a bit too... Or rather, he's, he's very ill-disciplined, I think, and he doesn't know when to stop. And... I was so grateful for for this because when I saw the trader, uh, you know, I thought, okay, he's just putting on an accent and that's it. You know, I didn't think there was going to be more to it. But then I thought there was a proper human being behind the accent and the gimmicks, and he was quite sympathetic, and he was de- clearly delusional, a clearly delusional human being. But you feel really bad for him because he just can't see it. He just can't see it, but he really believes in his talents and everything. And I think it's. It's a sympathetic portrayal. You know, a lot of people compare this to Ed Wood. And they're both movies about people who, who have visions, but they just don't know how to work towards those visions in, the, in a way that would be satisfactory to other people, you know. And, um, and I, think he, I think he cracked the formula. I think he managed to make it extremely funny, but ext- extremely heartfelt at the same time, you know. And I mean... I didn't go out of this movie going, oh, Tommy Wiseau is just a complete screw up and everything, like just like every, like he would be. But I think there's something there's something to him. There's something sad about him and the room. Because it's true. I mean, he definitely 
makes it a film that is full of sympathy. You know, it's not like Otomi Wiseau's this punchline that we're all going to be ha-ha laughing at him. And, I mean, of course we were laughing. There was a lot to laugh at because, I mean, the, the storyline and just the impossibility of making a film like that actually happen and the life it takes after it's made. So we're talking about the movie The Room, which was directed by Tommy Wiseau. But, and to me, I and I watched The Room before. It was important for me to see it. I know some people say, no, you don't need to and go watch it. And I'm like, no, I needed to see The Room, which yes, is a terrible film, but it's got this life of its own. And, and I feel with James Franco, he totally picked up the nuances of this character. So it isn't just, I'm going to put on an accent. I'm just going to put on this hair and makeup and I'm going to be him but he, these nuances are there and you totally see them especially after watching The Room so you see how much effort has really gone into making this film and it's amazingly you know like I said really well written very well structured uh, acting's terrific and yeah you leave thinking more about this human being who kind of pursued his dream regardless of what people were saying around him he had the will he definitely had the budget no one knows from where <laughs> and um it's 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 an amazing story you can't deny it what, whatever you think about tommy wiser whatever you think about the room it is an amazing story uh just one thing uh because he won't get a lot of credit for this but dave franco was was really really solid in his performance i think he's just going to be overshadowed by by his brother uh, and it's it's quite astonishing to see like you know the sort of straight man in uh, amongst the two you know do so well. I agree, but the only thing about De Franco was that beard. That beard looked really shoddy, <laughs> and I don't know how intentional was that was. There was something very distracting about that beard, which just looked very very fake. <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, what, what you guys have been mentioning is that it's really well directed and James Franco directed it. So maybe beyond the acting, it's, it, it's him being able to, to pull something out of himself and, and, and his brother and the rest of the cast. I mean, and what I remember reading is it's based on the book. And I think James Franco and De Franco, they, it, was about, it was the book that they were exposed to before even seeing The Room. And that's what really made them want to make this film. So that was also an interesting insight. I've not read the book, um, but I you know friends who have. And they said, yeah, it's, re it's, it's a really good book to read because there's a lot uh, that says about you know the movie and uh, Tommy Wiseau so that's an interesting angle and I think it was the book really that led to making this film and not you know hey let's make a movie about the room and the director and another one of those big galas because most of these uh, uh, English speaking films were in, in, in the gala and um, is, is three billboards outside of Edding, Missouri where Martin McDonough doesn't yet does yet another uh, funny yet really really dark and unexpected uh, story and and in here, you're, you're watching it, and like uh, like in real life, nobody's good, nobody's bad. You feel sorry for everybody, you hate everybody, and I think that's it's healthy when you when you are able to have that film. And even though some some arcs are overwritten, like some people said, it's a, it was a bit too designed. But I think it's okay to create this little story and this little fable where where you can laugh awkwardly and then feel bad for laughing at something like this. I I think it's. It's always great to see people, uh, you know, have very honest portrayals of humanity uh, and to tackle difficult subject matter in uh, comedic sensibility as well, but without losing the humanity mm -hmm. again, you know, uh, it's I, I like this a lot more than in Bruges uh, and Seven Psychopaths, if I, you know, from what I, I remember, at least. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is a very it's it is a tough movie to get through. But it's also fun. It's a lot of fun to to watch, uh, and I think Sam Rockwell, uh, you know, steals the show almost uh, more than Francis McDormand. 
and that's uh, a hard thing to steal the show from her. Yeah, it is because she's quite. She's really good. I mean, like, uh, I think he will get his first Oscar nomination, like in 2018. I hope he does, because uh, he was he was quite brutal, uh, quite unapologetically, you know, racist <laughs> as well. And that's it's quite funny to see that as well, but still like the character. So I didn't see this movie, and it's funny because you talk about kind of the racist element and. Um, I think people I follow just had very mixed feelings about it and I decided to skip this one for now and if it comes to our cinemas like theatrical release I'll go watch it but there was something very uncomfortable I I got from people reacting to the film because of how race was tackled and uh, yeah I don't know so it just kind of made me decide to leave it for now and, and watch that's it later that's the thing sometimes race shouldn't be tackled politically correctly Sometimes race should be tackled disgustingly, which is why it's a dark comedy, which is why that works in that sense. And it's more about the hypocrisy as well, yeah. because he sort of he tries to be politically correct, <laughs> but he's it, by being politically correct, you're being racist too. <laughs> and I, that's what I found really uh, funny about it and ironic. Uh, and it's I, I think it's just they're also really well written characters. They're compelling characters. Even one character who who's in the movie for a while then isn't there anymore leaves quite the impression on you you know and they're they're they're, they're three-dimensional and they're interesting you know they've all got these little arcs going on and little storylines uh that you want to know more about frankly so speaking of dark comedies and three-dimensional characters uh i tonya uh, is one i think we should talk about so i know well you really love this film right it was actually the last film i saw so it's funny that we're talking about it as the last film in in, in this podcast but i was beyond pleasantly surprised i went and thinking it's going to be a fairly decent biopic i've i've known uh I've, I've known craig gillespie's films from before so i knew sort of how to how he would interact the characters but i didn't think he would take margot robbie to that extent and really get it out of her and in, in this one again i had the i guess i was in the right space of mind because i had had watched all these dark comedies so i was i was in this loathing self-hate guilt watching of all of them so when you're sitting there and this, this is a character that kind of more and more or less everybody knows about so i'm not ruining it for everyone this kind of famous skater ice skater that was involved um uh, or, or or kind of thought of as involved in the attack on another ice skater and then you're sitting there and you're laughing at her real miserable life and and that just and at one point even kind of they they break the fourth wall and discuss it with you and you're walking out thinking Oh my God! I'm a horrible human being. I'm sitting there taking pleasure out of someone's real misery. It's not like a made-up story; it's a real story. But he he made it so caricaturish that you are able to laugh at something horrible that happened, but in the end, also keep them real. Yeah, it's true because it addresses how media also had a role in mm. kind of sensationalizing the story, and uh, and it's a story I remember when it happened. But it was also interesting that same evening walking and hearing people like I don't know anything about this. I think Faisal, you said also that you didn't even know about this I character in the past. Say, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it just reminds me of how old I am and well too <laughs> but yeah no it was quite like an entertaining film so a, a really good kind of accessible film yes you will laugh at well made uh, all these different elements to it um i was shocked about how much i liked it i wasn't um like you said i think i was expecting kind of your average bio but there was these interesting elements to it like it's a fun film like i don't think it's the great film it's not going to be like in my top 
you know, 20. But I thought it was a fun film. And, and yes, it was nice to have an opportunity to enjoy a fun film during the film festival. I love how it felt like a Scorsese film, more than anything, with the editing, with the way it's structured, and with the way, you know, the nar- use of narration and, you know, t- almost talking heads. Uh, it it felt it felt very kinetic, if, if I could use that word, you know, and it was quite in depth. And like again, they're all they're nasty characters. They're nasty. Even she is sort of a nasty character, but it's more because she, the the pro, she's she being a product of her environment that she was brought up with and everything. Her mother is crazy, you know, and and almost cold hearted and everything. And uh, it's just interesting to see, you know, that sort of. Um, uh, you know, grittiness captured in this, you know, uh, really <laughs> absurd comedy, I think. Because uh, there's a lot of incompetence of characters in this movie, and I think that's what makes made it for me as well, you know. I mean, there were kind of criticisms about this film, but yeah, it's kind of like riffing off Martin Scorsese, and it's like this kind of another version of, you know, trying to be a good fellas uh, kind of film. And I mean, I see those elements, but... Uh, I don't know. Like I said, to me, it was a fun film. And whether they're, you know, the director's influenced by Scorsese and other filmmakers. But, yeah, there was just something about this, the way it was structured that I wasn't expecting. Um, And, yeah, I'm glad I got to see it. I think it was just too honest at one point. And and she was honest with herself. And some of the articles I read is that the the actual Tanya watched it and, and she thought it was kind of fair. I don't know how her, her, what her, everybody else's characters were, uh, how they felt about it, it being real, but it, it was really disturbingly honest. And one point when you're, and, and that's how she, that character was portrayed when she was able to talk about herself, because the whole film starts with an old Tanya talking to us about the past that she lived in and then cutting back and, and moving on. I have to commend the choreography in the movie. Like the figure skating was, was incredible. Like I was, I was just blown away. I didn't even, ex- I didn't even think about that going into the movie, whether we were going to get amazing figure skating. You know, I com- completely forgot that that element was going to exist, and it was beautiful to watch. Yeah, and apparently when I was reading an article where, uh, because she, nobody can really do that triple back flip, whatever they call it, uh, and when, uh, when uh, of course, uh, uh, Robbie couldn't do it, they had to find someone, and. And the, and the director, somebody told him that it's only five women in the world who can still do that. <laughs> so it really is a very strong feat that she's able to do. Mm-hmm. So they had to kind of improvise and do a lot of uh, 3D work and, and generating compo- composite because they all had their, I think, Winter Olympics coming up and no one would come and sacrifice. Maybe they could have fallen, they could have broke something. Mm-hmm. So even from that end, it was really serious, giving you, again, the power of what Tanya was in the sport mm-hmm but it being a whole mean girl aspect so she was a horrible person but everyone around her was horrible and people were just horrible all you know all the way around but that the movie was able to still keep that positive flow and on that positive ending i would say thank you very much Faisal for coming on our podcast uh, thank you for having me guys and for everyone listening as always please uh listen to us download like and comment um on tea with culture on soundcloud iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thank you very much.